Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now, we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Listening to the Talking Metal Podcast with your host, Mark Striegel, and special guest co-host, Victor M. Ruiz. iTunes number one hard rock and metal podcast. I'm Bud Friendly. Now, here are your hosts, Mark and Victor. Welcome, one and all, to another episode of Talking Metal Live. I'm Victor over here in Spain, and 3,000 miles away, we have Mark Striegel. Hey, yeah, Mark in New Jersey. How are you guys doing tonight? Hanging in there. Um, looking forward to another fun show. Working on fumes at this moment. 23 straight hours awake, but... All for the wow. love of the show. <laughs> why Why is that, Victor? 23 straight hours. Why? 23 straight hours. Um, I mentioned during last week's show that I had uh, what's referred to in the States as the stomach flu. Uh, I looked it up. Um, we were lucky enough for me to have it and my kids to have it, and they've been very um, irritable this week. And they've been up since the crack of dawn today. Trading off. I, I'd like to think that it's uh, like Halford and Dickinson and the one you love to hate, where they're trading uh, screams back and forth. Just because they're so uncomfortable with with yeah. the stomach flu. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's it. Yeah, sorry to hear that, man. It yeah. sucks. <laughs> so I've got another few days left of that. It took me about eight days to get rid of it. So I have about three more to uh, hang in there. But such is life, I guess. You said three days it took you to get rid of it? It took me eight days to get rid eight of it. Eight days? Yeah. Yeah, it can go eight to ten days, and they've already been uh, – they they caught on. My youngest son caught on about a week after I did, and my oldest son caught on like five days after I did. So so this is like vomiting and, and fevers and stuff like that? Uh, actually, that that's the thing. I was reading online that although it's referred to as the stomach flu – it doesn't necessarily have to be exactly like the flu where fever isn't common unless it's uh unless you have a bacterial strain of uh the stomach flu and actually the nausea accompanies that if it's just a regular stomach flu it's just an infection uh in your intestine 
and I'm saying just, it's still a pain in the ass because you're, you know, with stomach cramps and running to the bathroom every two seconds. Yeah, well, I hope uh, your boys feel better soon because uh, that's just miserable. And it's, it's a, you know, it sucks that they are sick, but it's like, as you know, when your kids are sick, it's like you're mentally sick. You just yeah. can't focus or do anything. So yeah. uh, my best to your family and uh, let's hope for uh, a quick quick recovery. I'm sure everybody will be fine real soon. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure as well. And uh, I also want to this weekend up in Lake Placid. So, oh, sweet. My dad is in Lake Placid right now. He might even be listening right now. Huh? No kidding. Yeah. My, this is the second time my brother's doing the Ironman up there. He did it a few years ago and, uh, he's actually, uh, I guess it takes place on Sunday. So. Yeah. My, my dad actually uh, <clears throat> hates it when they have the Ironman cause he, you know, he's, <laughs> he's up there like, uh, he's up there quite a bit for right. most of the summer. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's like the town kind of gets real busy and it's a right. very, you know, kind of quiet place, mountain town, beautiful lakes and trees and mountains. And then it gets real busy for the Ironman. Right. So some of, some of the, the people, you know, who are up there for long periods of time don't actually like it. However, it is great for the economy up there. And I know that the town really depends on, you know, skiing in the winter and right. Ironman in the summer. So awesome. You're, so your brother, brother must be in good shape, obviously. Um, I think he would like to think so. <laughs> He's in much better shape than I am. I have to say that, uh, he actually took up, uh, doing the triathlons, uh, after he turned 40. So it was something that he wanted to do to try to stay in shape. I mean, he's always, you know, cycled and done stuff like that, but then he decided, you know, I guess that, uh, as he got older that he wanted to make sure that he stayed in shape and that he didn't have any type of uh, physical issues. So he started doing the triathlons and he's loved it. Right on. And speaking of Iron Man or Iron Men or Iron, Iron Man, the song, whatever, uh, I'm trying to somehow segue into Black Sabbath. Uh, Black Sabbath played their first show of the tour last night, I believe, in right. Texas. And... It, no one really seemed sure who was going to be on drums, although I guess people were assuming it was going to be Tommy Clefettis, right. and uh, it was Tommy. So kind of interesting that, you know, at least uh, it sounds like Ozzy, along with Tony Geezer, uh, Tony and Geezer had kind of pegged Tommy to do the record with them. And then right. when they brought uh, Rick Rubin in to produce it, he insisted on another drummer. Right. And from what, you know, the little bit, if you kind of read between the lines, especially in the interviews with Ozzy, I don't think he was all that happy about that. So I guess it's no surprise that now that the album is done and they are out on tour, Tommy is uh, back in the band. We know Tommy. He was on Talking Metal uh, probably a couple of years ago at this point. Right. And also we know him, of course, from uh, his, his days touring and playing with Ozzy. Seems like an awfully nice guy younger guy at least younger than me and he played with rob zombie beforehand and alice cooper and ted nugent yeah. and correct i mean he's been playing i don't remember if he mentioned it in the interview with you or if i'd read it somewhere else that he's been playing professionally since he was like 14 years old that his dad was a drummer before him and i guess similar to the van halen brothers uh, his dad would bring him out during shows and have him do like different drum solos or play different songs. And it surprised me that 
they went with uh, with the guy from Raised Against Machine. I forget his first name. Uh, or actually, it's Brad Wilkes. I, I guess the whole deal there was Rick Rubin wanted someone he could depend on, and he knew, you know, how the guy worked. And he came out and said something that Tommy was too metal and they wanted to sort of reproduce what Sabbath did in the 70s and that Bill Ward wasn't a metal player. Uh, I don't know. And I guess I email where he didn't really call him up or like run it past anyone else. He just sent them an email and said, you know, sort of like your services aren't needed for the album. Right. Yeah, that sucks. So that the, sucks. The, the funny thing is, is Ozzy keeps mentioning now how – uh, he'd like to have Bill work on the next album. Uh, he's already said uh, as recent as a week or two ago that this shouldn't be the last Sabbath album, that they had a blast recording it and that they expected possibly do another one. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. You know, I could maybe see them doing another record. I would think if they do, I kind of doubt Rick Rubin's going to be involved, but who knows? We'll, we'll see. Um, Sabbath is out there touring. I'm going to see them next weekend, a little over cool. a week from the day we are doing this live show, which is, what is today's date? The 26th. 26th. So let's get into some new music here, Victor, and sure. uh, <clears throat> come back and talk with the fans on Twitter and whatnot. But uh, first, uh, yeah, let's check in with Twitter actually right now. Uh, Chiaki from the Metal Moment podcast just tweeted uh, six minutes ago. He said it's called it's called Vix Jet Lagged. What does that mean? Huh? <laughs> it's called Vix Jet Jet Lagged. Not sure what that means. Yeah, me me neither. View, oh, he says view conversation. Let me see. Uh, oh yeah, talking metal live tonight with Victor and Mark. Uh, yeah, so he said. It's called Vix Jet Lagged. I don't know what that means, Chiaki, but uh, thanks for the tweet. And we have, of course, Todd checking in. Absolutely. He says, already tuned in, just waiting for you, man. Uh, man, Todd is the best. He's here every Friday night with us. Todd, thank you so much for checking in with Talking Metal. And, the, of course, the this mystery guy, uh, he has the two hearts in his Twitter handle. It's, uh, I love Tila. I'd love to hear, dude, what that, what that means. You are a big supporter of us on Twitter. I love Tila. What's the meaning behind I love Tila? Uh, and again, tweet us at Talking Metal or Victor has his own uh, handle, which you have a couple handles, right? What what Twitter handle do you prefer people hit you up at, Victor? Um, it doesn't matter. Whatever, whichever the two is easiest for them. Give us one. Sure. Uh, VMR907. We'll go with that one for tonight. Cool. And a quick look at the... The charts. I'm just trying to mix it up a little bit here. Sure. Uh, let's see. Top 20 on Liquid Metal, Sirius, Channel 40. These are the top three records. The Dillinger Escape Plan at number two with One of Us is the Killer. Philip H. Ensalmo at number two, Walk Through Exit Only, and Black Sabbath 13 at number one. Over on Octane, which is channel 37, we have at number three, Device. We have number two, Volbeat. And we have number one, Five Finger Death Punch with their album, The Wrong Side of Heaven, volume one. John Astronomy, my co-host here, normally on Talking Metal, actually did some jamming, I swear to you, on my life with uh, 
the guy from Five Finger Death Punch earlier this week. Jason Hook, right? He, he, yes, Jason Hook. Uh, Bill from Mastodon was also at the jam and Ace. And it was like some kind of Gibson, private Gibson meeting for like investors or something like that. Huh. And John hosted the night, um, kind of like the uh, the panel host, if you will, at this event. Hmm. So cool for John. He got to sit down behind the drums while those guys jammed out some blues, uh, he tells me. And there's pictures of that on John's Facebook page, actually. And Jason, another former member of Alice Cooper's band. Oh, really? Cool. Did not yeah. know that. Like to mention a podcast I recently started listening to, Joey's Rock Strikes 10 at rockstrikes10.cnjradio.com. Do you know this You know this guy, Joey? I do not, actually. Yeah, you got to check this guy's show out. It, it, he's, he's good, and I, only, I know he's been doing it for a while, and we've been friends, Joey and I, on Facebook, and I only recently started listening, and he, uh, he does a great show. Anybody who plays Slayer and the Beach Boys in the same episode <laughs> of a podcast has won my vote, uh, and it's a good show. If you, all you like is heavy metal or rock, hard rock, you're not going to like Joey's show. If you've got an open mind and you like good music, uh, check it out. You know, you know what drives me crazy on Facebook and stuff when I, when I say, you know, I like this record or I like that record. And some of you right. talking metal fans will check in and like, are you kidding? It's like, no, dude, I, I listen to all different kinds of music. There's right. a lot of great music out there. It's not just all heavy metal and hard rock. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of real bad heavy metal and hard rock yeah. too. I agree. But, you know, so you just got to listen to what's good and what you think is good, you know, and, uh, you know, don't feel like you only can listen to stuff in one certain genre. Cause I noticed that among a lot of different people, especially metal fans where they just feel they can't even admit that they like anything outside of the hard rock or heavy metal genre. So open your minds, check out Joey's rock strikes 10 podcast. It's, it's one of those things where I guess a lot of these people double take and they look to the left and the right, see who's next to them before they they can admit if they like something. But online, you know, they can't lose their metal cred. Slayer is great. The Beach Boys are great, you know, and and that's what uh, that's what I like about Rock Strikes 10, the uh, Rock Strikes 10 podcast. Uh, A lot of good shit. Definitely check it out. And I wanted to mention I met the number one king of all podcasters adam carolla was in uh, the town next to me selling his mangria wine i went and i met him got a picture with him which i'll put in today's show notes in the podcast version of this and got the bottle signed i meant to drink it tonight and i forgot but uh, i'm drinking a heineken <laughs> were you drinking anything you still off the booze trying to get well yeah just i don't want to get ahead of myself here uh still drinking the gatorade okay all right cool and what else was I going to say? Oh, yeah, Corolla, the, the biggest, uh, the most downloaded podcaster out there. And, you know, he has the Corolla Digital Network, which we, we kind of ripped off the name. We're, we now have the Talking Metal Digital Network. That's my fucking dog. Shut up. Um, uh, Talking Metal Digital is a direct ripoff of Adam Corolla or Corolla Digital. So uh, there you go. Well, let's get into some music. I'm really sure. digging the new winery dogs record featuring... Kotzen, Portnoy, and Sheehan. Very, very strong record. You got something queued up there you want to hit, Victor? Yeah, we have uh, the track We Are One off of the album. And uh, let's check that out. (laughs) 
All right, we are back. And we just checked out some, I almost said Mr. Big. We were talking about Mr. Big off air because of the whole Richie Cotton. Yeah, Richie Cotton, of course, has a history with Billy Sheehan in Mr. Big, we were talking about. And uh, Richie even briefly played in Poison, did a record with them. And the rumor was he was thrown out for sleeping with Bobby Dahl's girlfriend or something. I don't know if that's true. That was a right. pretty big rumor back in the day. Uh, who knows? But Richie Cotton, what a talent that guy is. And so many people just don't know about him. Right. Yeah, a guy that, like I was saying all fair, was considered a, a big-time shredder way back when and when it became uncool to solo and, and all that. Uh, and when all when a lot of these guitars sort of went underground, he sort of, you know, he joined Poison initially, and then when he came back out, sort of started doing, you know, hard rock mixed in with a lot of blues and even some country-flavored stuff. So he definitely yeah. has a lot of talent. And just an amazing voice. I mean, like a Chris Cornell almost style voice, you know, so it's so, so good. So good. Cool. So I, I wanted to touch upon the Vivian Campbell interview that you did because it did receive a lot of, a, a lot of different press from various sites, a lot of sites reprinted part of the interview and, and of course, you always have people chiming in, and it's interesting uh, to see some of the remarks. It's it, it amazes me that after listening to that interview, and, and I'm guessing that most of the people that commented didn't listen to the interview, because I think for years, maybe a lot of people sided with Dio and thought, you know, well, Vivian was just bitter or whatnot, uh, just because some of the comments that, uh, had been going on back and forth and he sort of didn't want to talk about those years but i think after listening to the interview you could really tell that uh, he was hurt by the situation you know it didn't seem like you know he wanted to be in that situation it, it seemed as if almost that after dio died that there was almost like a weight lifted off of him yeah you know, he said some terrible things, and I think he's admitted that. And I, I I, have seen in the past with other bands, like, you know, even Kiss, for example, where they, they really, when they took the makeup off and they got into the 80s, guys, you have to remember that platforms and bell bottoms and anything 1970s was was dorky you know so so it's 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 interesting to kiss for the longest time there was like not for the longest time but for a number of years they only were playing like three three four maybe five songs from 70s era kiss in their set list and everything right. you know if you look at that animalized tour they were they were barely playing any old songs you know yeah sure detroit rock city rock and roll all night maybe black diamond, uh, maybe one other, you know, but it was yeah. like hardly, hardly anything until, and they even changed, they, they, they changed the cover of creatures of the night because they didn't want the makeup on there. Cause they thought that that would hurt it, you know, and, and, and they put Bruce Kulik on the cover and uh, the non makeup era kiss on, on the cover of creatures of the night only later, many years later to re-release it with the original makeup, right. uh, album cover. And, uh, you know, the, so, so sometimes you need to separate yourself 
from the past. And yeah, I've seen this with Robert Plant too. And m- many bands, you need to kind of separate yourself from the past for a decade or so until you can re-embrace it. Now with Vivian, it obviously had been much more than a decade. And I do think it's because of, you know, his, his, uh, anger towards Ronnie and, or Wendy or both. And maybe, you know, like I speculated before, he didn't want to give it any props at all because it's very possible he didn't, he's not getting any money off of it. He may have signed away all performance rights and songwriting rights. And he just, maybe it was just too painful for him to right. uh, admit to, to it being great. Although you have to think maybe down deep, he, he still did maybe think that or I who knows what the fuck happened you know right. I, I remember Eddie Trunk talking about it and Eddie was the first guy I heard uh, talk about Vivian and he said you know he spoke to Vivian and, and Vivian wanted this is like probably two three years ago I remember Eddie saying that Vivian was uh, you know almost uh, upset that that the the metal community wasn't digging him and, and he, and I, I, who knows? So maybe Eddie trunk planted the seed with him that, you know, what you did was great. And, you know, you know, you should embrace the, the fans who like that, the music you did with Dio. I don't know. Yeah, that, that could be the case. You know, who, who knows? It could be, as you're saying, you know, such a painful situation that he had it buried in, in the back of his mind and, you know, with enough people, um, I don't know, trying to give him a proverbial kick in the ass to to go check the stuff out and maybe light that spark again. I, I guess he went back and, and finally did it. Uh, it's interesting that uh, during the interview you did as well, he credited playing with the guys from Thin Lizzy to sort of, you know, get his, his blood going again to wanting to do more guitar-orientated playing and uh, for about two years, I guess there were sort of rumblings about him not doing enough in Def Leppard, and yeah, you know, so. he's probably a paid employee in Def Leppard. Oh yeah, without and, a doubt. And you know, I think he's careful. If you listen to the interview, first of all, I did transcribe most of the interview, right? And I do think that if you listen to it and you hear the tone of his voice, sometimes reading. It's like you get an email from somebody and you can't tell the tone that right, they're. Right talks pretty passionately about his time in Dio, even going into detail about the hearing aid uh, project and the recording of, of last in line. And you know, it's a, it's a, it's a good listen to any, any fan of, of uh, early eighties heavy metal. And I do think that there's something to be said about these interviews that you get on podcasts like that one, for example, where you just can't read these. You got to hear the inflection of the voice. You got to hear the sincerity or for that matter, lack of sincerity, sincerity. And that's why I I think, um, if you are a fan, go listen to it. And I'll tell you a lot of people did listen to it though, because we got a, a shitload of, uh, downloads. That episode really was a big one for us on talking metal. Yeah, I agree. A lot of times when I have people on Mars Attacks that are, you know, where, where there are things written up, uh, Michael Kiska from Halloween is is one that comes to mind, where there are so many things written that were negative towards him, 
you have the person on and as you're saying, you hear their voice, you hear their story, you hear them explain things. And it really gives you a different side of, you know, a story. And it isn't some, you know, guy in print. Obviously, you're not trying to make a name for yourself. You, you've professed to loving Dio and loving Vivian's work and, and everything else. And a lot of times, you know, when I interview people, for the most part, I would say 99.9% of the people that I interview, I'm fans of their work as well. So, I mean, I really want to get you know, a story out of them. But at the same time, I, I don't want to, you know, cook up some gossip where a lot of times you have, you know, people in print that on the one side, you could sort of, you know, take some of the things that are, that are written up one way or another, like you're saying. And at the same time, you know, they can even transcribe that and truncate it and do whatever to make it sound even worse than what it is. So with, with a podcast format, you know, you're hearing someone speak, you're hearing exactly what they want to get across. Definitely. Definitely. Cool. In the email, you mentioned, uh, something about a rumor, um, that Vivian had tried out for Ozzy or something. Yes. Okay. Well, that's obviously not true. Cause I wanted to say that in the interview I did with him, he said he's never met Ozzy Osbourne. And that's exactly why I wrote it down. Uh, that, that was one of the big interview or one of the big, um, rumors back in the day that Ozzy was considering hiring him. And actually, uh, there was a rumor that Jake uh, was offered the spot in Dio as well. Yeah. I don't think the thing with Jake is a rumor. I, I think that's, that's, pr- I mean, that's pretty clear. I know even in Stephen Piercy's book, he says that Jake basically left rat to go join Dio's band. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. And, I do remember there was actually an interview back when Jake was doing Badlands. It was like him and Dio, like in the listening studio and like guitar for the practicing musician. Right. And and there was, I think they were talking a little bit about their history and that. But yeah, I, I'm fairly certain Jake Ely, according to numerous uh, different sources, was considered for Dio's band and. Uh, was you know close to working with Dio? If if maybe it's possible that he even was working with Dio. And that's interesting. He would actually be the the first of two Rat guitars that had involvement in Dio. Because now that I remember, after Doug Aldridge left the band, they actually brought Warren Demartini in and tried him out, and apparently. A month after bringing him in, he was fired because they said he wasn't doing a good enough job of recreating a lot of the solos. Mm. So it's, I cool. I didn't remember that the other week when you discussed Stephen Piercy. It just came to mind now. But uh, it's interesting how a lot of these bands, you know, how it's such small circles. You know, you talk to Jeff Pilson and Vivian talks about, you know, running into uh, – Jeff as well, and and talking to him and knowing him from the docking days as well. The singer that they have in Last in Line also worked with George Lynch for a while there in Lynch Mob. So it's interesting yeah. how all of this is almost like uh, like that old thing, uh, six degrees of separation to Kevin Bacon. You know, it's almost like six degrees to separation in this case from uh, Jeff Pilson. Yeah. No. Totally. Totally. Cool. Well, you want to get into a little stand-up and shout and then uh, come back and talk about the 
90s. Yeah, let, let's do that. And the reason that I picked Stand Up and Shout is because I think for a lot of people, that was the first song that they heard Vivian play on. I mean, unless they were listening to Sweet Savage. Right. You know, that was their introduction to Vivian Campbell. So let's jump on that track. <laughs> stand up and shout there from Dio and the next topic that I sort of threw out there to discuss was 90s hard rock and metal something that I think gets somewhat of a bad rap from people I think that similar to what you were saying about Kiss and how you know when you get to the when you got to the 80s the 70s stuff wasn't cool anymore when you got to the 90s you definitely noticed that you know, MTV was trashing a lot of 80s bands. They couldn't get any airplay on radio. Right. You know, so I think a lot of fans of hard rock and metal sort of, you know, automatically panned that decade as saying that nothing good came out. But I think right. quite the opposite. You know, I think that there were a lot of really good albums that did come out and a lot of, 
you know, influential bands. I remember interviewing Rex Brown and, and that was one of the things that I asked him. I said, you know, so many people say the nineties metal sucks. You know, your band Pantera essentially built their fan base and became as popular as they are during the nineties. So what do you have, you know, what's your, what's your take on that? And he essentially said that, you know, he thought that, 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 that whole thing was stupid, that, you know, exactly what I had said was, was correct, that, pantera in their you know formative years it was it was all throughout the 90s and that so many other bands had put out great albums as well yeah and and you know it, it's back to kind of what we were talking about earlier where people just like can't see out out of their own little box that they live in you know it's like right. there, there's so much good music and i mean you know it's back to the definition of what is metal I mean, if, 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 you know, the first couple Black Sabbath records are considered metal, which they are, then Alice in Chains' Dirt is metal, too. You know, and it's right. like, that's a great album from the 90s, you know, and then it's like, well, then is Soundgarden metal? Yeah, some of it is, you know, and it's like, so there, there's a lot of great stuff. Now, you know, I, I guess I guess for me personally, just my own personal memories of the nineties are, are, you know, I, I do remember that suddenly metal wasn't real cool anymore. And I remember it starting before the nineties. I mean, uh, you know, it drives me crazy when people are like, you know, Nirvana was what killed (laughs) metal. And that's such a fucking dumb bullshit statement. It's like, it's like there wasn't, you know, when, when MTV played smells like teen spirit for the first time, it wasn't metal. That's just not the case. Heavy metal had been, you know, changing and, and dying and traditional metal had been, been changing and dying and evolving. You know, I, I remember bands like, you know, um, living color and, and then seeing fishbone play with liver, living color. And, and, you know, fishbone was, uh, had heavy sounding guitars on that second record. Truth, truth, the uh, truth and soul, truth or soul. And, you know, the heavy guitars were were suddenly being used in different types of music. I'm not saying Fishbone was metal, but they had certain sounds that, that came from metal. You know, things just evolved. And, of course, Pantera, yeah, I mean, that, that doesn't get any more metal than that. But that was an involvement, too. That was like they really took these extreme metal sounds and in some ways brought them to the mainstream or at least close to the mainstream, you know? So, so I think metal was, was definitely alive and well in the nineties, just in a lot of different forms. And yeah, Iron Maiden and Dio were no longer filling arenas in the nineties. You know, I remember Maiden, you know, was playing larger theaters and, and stuff like that. And, and, but as, as you sent, you know, as, as, as you mentioned in the email, we were, we were, thrown around earlier victor there's a lot of great stuff that came out in the in the 90s yeah. uh, i mean you, yeah you just i'm looking at your email the, the chemical wedding record by bruce dickinson oh my god that's a great record yeah. you know yeah I, I agree and i actually prefer the the one that came out before that accident of birth which was a monster oh, yeah. album as well uh, i mean out of this whole list and and what i did was i went to martin popoff's list of top 500 metal albums and picked out the first 10 albums that actually came out in the 90s yes essentially you want me to read the albums off 
Yeah, sure. Or I actually right here in front of me. I why don't you go ahead and then okay. I have his top ten metal records from the nineties too. Okay. But go ahead, read those first. Okay, so at number eleven you have Megadeth's Rust in Peace. Number twenty is Pantera's Far Beyond Driven. Number twenty six Judas Priest Painkiller. Number twenty seven Metallica the self titled Black Album. Uh, number 28 is Slayer Seasons in the Abyss. Number 47 is Dream Theater Images and Words. 52 is Alice in Chains Dirt. 61 is Bruce Dickinson's The Chemical Wedding. 66 is Carcass's Heartwork. And 67 is Sepultura's Arise. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Well, his top 10 here. Actually, let's take it back. Top 20 of this is just his top 20 hard uh, heavy metal records from the 90s. Hard rock, heavy metal. 20, the Tea Party, the Edges of Twilight. What the fuck is that? The Tea Party. That's actually a Canadian band that uh, when I interviewed Gene Hoagland, he mentioned that if I was into that Zeppelin-y, like... Um, a, a, a Arabian sound or however you want to mention it, like the cashmere type deal to check right. out the tea party because a lot of their music was like that. And I didn't, you know, know who the tea party was up until about two years ago, but that's a Canadian band that I'm sure. Mark number 18, Danzig four, number 17, Megadeth, rust in peace. Number 16, a favorite of mine, love, hate blackout in a red room. Huh? 12, oh, another great one, Paw, Dragline. Do you remember that band, Paw? I, I remember the band. I remember the album cover, but I don't remember any of the tracks. Oh, great. They had a song called Jesse. Oh, a great, great band. Paw were like a grunge band. Right. But like really aggressive and loud. And, you know, again, it's that fine line of what is metal, what's right. not. But Paw, Paw were they were a little too like hard rock to be in with the Seattle grunge scene, you know, okay. but, but they, they definitely were grungy, but like hard rock, great band, highly recommended. That reminds me, I got to pull that CD out and start listening to it. Um, 15, he's got down Pantera far beyond driven 13, another love hate record. Let's rumble 12 seasons in the abyss by Slayer 11, Tape Head by King's X at number 10, When the Burrow Breaks by Black Sabbath drummer Bill Ward. Nine, a great, great record, Abandoned by Deep Purple. I love that record. Eight, he's got Burning Time by Last Crack. Wow, I'm embarrassed to say I don't know that record. Do I, you? I do know that record. Yeah. Last Crack was this... Um uh before there was tool there was last crack they're they're a band from the middle of nowhere in kansas that put out this really weird like art rock metal progressive album they put out two albums and right. i actually i think i had the first one on vinyl and i definitely had the second one on cd and i know that for example uh slipknot's drummer joey jordanson really talks them up and says how they're really out there and how he really enjoyed um their music and he actually singled them out as one of his favorite roadrunner bands interesting number seven 
Martin Popoff has uh, the number seven record of the 1990s as Dogma by King's X. Okay. Number six, Trouble by Trouble. Number five, The Human Factor by Metal Church. Number four, guys, this is Martin Popoff's third love-hate record in the top <laughs> 20 from the 1990s of the best hard rock uh, heavy metal records. He has Wasted in America. At number three, he has Perpendicular by Deep Purple. Number two, Manic Frustration by Trouble. And at number one, ZZ Top. Rhythmine? Is that what it's called? Rhythmine? Rhythmine. What the fuck's on that record? (laughs) Rhythmine. I don't even know that record. You, You just, we were talking about that off air, Victor, and you told me. Billy Sheehan mentioned that yeah. in the interview that I did with him. I don't remember yeah, that either. He said something to the extent of that being a very heavy album and how really? ZZ Top doesn't get enough credit for influencing uh, hard rock and metal. And he pointed you know, to that album. And it's funny because I almost just choked on the Gatorade when, when you read that. And, and I knew it was coming, but I forgot. Because the first thing that came to mind was, and the Grammy goes to Jethro Tull. Right. <laughs> you know, um, sure. I mean, it's obvious that ZZ Top has had to have some sort of influence on hard rock and metal, but to be the best album of the 90s, I, I don't know. You know, follow any trends at all. He's got his own voice, and sometimes his stuff is uh, is a little surprising. So yeah. there you go. Martin, by the way, has a great book called The Collector's Guide to Heavy Metal. And there are actually numerous editions of this, uh, The Collector's Guide to Heavy Metal. And the list that I just read, you guys, came from Volume 3, the 90s. I actually have Volume 1, the 70s. I have Volume 2, the 80s, and Volume 3, the 90s. I need to do a little more reading of this one. I've pretty much been through the the 70s and 80s uh, volume over and over again. But I will admit, I'm not a, a... expert on on 90s metal and i i need to uh definitely explore that decade a little more because i know there was a lot of great stuff that that happened in the 1990s on the uh the more underground level with with heavy metal especially like power metal and stuff wouldn't you agree victor yeah i i think so and and i think it was really a decade where a lot of chances were taken as well where as you're saying there was really a fine line between you know, what was metal, what wasn't, what was grunge, what wasn't. Uh, you had bands like Testament, for example, that were really experimenting, as you're saying, adding maybe a little bit more of a power metal influence. But at the same time, they were adding a death metal influence as well. So they were splitting off in, in two different directions. Yep. Uh, you had a lot of other bands that were, you know, un- unfortunately – trying to jump on bandwagons but a lot of these bands also you know were jumping on bandwagons when they first came out in the 80s as well Uh, similar to what you said you know nirvana didn't come along and you know as tom petty said uh become like a sickle and cut everyone down what actually happened was there were too many crappy bands out there and they were all you know, just sort of copying one another. There was really no originality in what a lot of bands were doing. Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, I liked Pretty Boy Floyd, and and, uh, a lot of people hate him, but I I liked them. But who I didn't like was, like, Firehouse, 
And I remember hearing them and just thinking, this is like, you know, if, if, if Motley Crue was like the first generation, you know, by the time we got to firehouse, it was like fourth generation, you know, it's, it was just like, it seems stale at that time. And, and it's, it's interesting now with the age of the internet, I feel like different styles of music can, can kind of live on a little bit longer or, or just on their own. Whereas back in, 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 in the nineties, the early nineties and the eighties, it's like, you know, there were only so many fanzines and there were only so many, you know, outlets for the music. And, uh, you know, when, when things started turning, when, when people weren't buying it up like they used to, big business turned their heads on it maybe a little quicker than some fans would have liked, you know? And, right. and, and, and that, you know, if anything, you know, the, the, the fact that, that, that sales had started to decline just naturally, uh, as far as heavy metal, you know, or especially like, you know, I hate the term, but hair metal or glam metal goes right. commercial metal, you know, sales were declining. And I think, there were a lot of people who were still into it, even though sales were starting to decline. Big business turned their head on it, you know, and and, and just kind of more money off it. And, and, you know, independent music, whether you want to agree with me or not, which if you don't want to agree with me, I think you're probably wrong. But I, I just think independent music thrives a lot, a lot better now in the age of the Internet. Yeah, I, I agree with you because exactly what you said, when a lot of these bands were thrown out back then, they had no place to go. If they right. were lucky, I mean, if you were Wasp, if you were Motorhead, if you were bands like these whose labels folded up or whose labels cut them loose, well, they were able to go to a Sanctuary Music or you know mm-hmm. Eagle Rock Entertainment, things like that. But other bands, a lot of the you know commercial metal bands, as you're saying, they had no place to go. Whereas right. today, you know, you could go to Bandcamp or you could, you know, self-release something and sell it via your website. And you have, totally. you know, that, that outlet that they didn't have back then. Yeah. So, yep, so definitely. I, I, I agree with you 100%. I think, I think the Internet in general, especially for the music we love, you know, all forms of hard rock and heavy metal has been, has been probably a good thing. You know, yeah. I mean, people complain about it, you know, killing sales and stuff. But the flip side of that is it's it's allowed fans to stay in touch with with uh, their favorite bands. You know, look, I mean, look at Mike Tramp. It's like, for example, like my cousin is a big Mike Tramp fan and she kind of, you know, hasn't been following White Lion or Mike Tramp for, you know, 15 years. But she was a hardcore fan 15, 20, 25 years ago. And, you know, it's like. It's like now I've suddenly reintroduced her to, hey, Mike Tramp's actually out on tour. He's doing stuff. He's out there. He's making music. And she, through the magic of the Internet, is now getting all excited about Mike Tramp again. And she's watching interviews with him and, you know, seeing what he's up to now. And it's like if we didn't have the Internet, you know, my cousin who, you know, isn't really tied into, you know, she's not hardcore enough where she'd be like, going out and getting obscure fanzines and stuff mailed right. to her. Uh, but, but thanks to the internet, she's now interested in Mike Tramp and what he's up to now. And who knows, maybe she'll even, you know, 
throw them some cash to buy a song or to buy a t-shirt or maybe even go see a show, you know, when, when he comes through her, her town. So I think the internet is good for, uh, a lot of these guys, you know, and, and it helps them keep the fan base alive, even if the fan base is much smaller than it once was. Yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent. And you have so many bands, you know, releasing things directly through iTunes nowadays where they're getting a, a bigger percentage and it's allowing them to do a lot of the stuff that you mentioned. And I think a lot of this does come back to what we discussed in the last episode, which was, you know, these big companies ripping off fans and a lot of the fans becoming jaded and also not wanting to support certain things. Uh, You see a lot of bands and Anthrax comes to mind and I absolutely love Anthrax. They're one of my favorite bands but a lot of times they complain about illegal downloads and, and things of that nature. And they always point back to the nineties as sort of being the, the golden period. But if you look at it, the nineties is the only decade where there were multiple media formats. We started out with vinyl. They transitioned people over to cassette when that wasn't good enough. They transitioned everyone over to CD. And right. by the end of the decade, people were a medium where, you know, people actually didn't have to go out and rebuy things. You know, forget about illegal downloads. If you had the right. CDs, you just ripped them to MP3s. You know, it wasn't a case of, you know, so many people going out and, and you know, wanting to download. I mean, yes, Napster had a big thing to do with it. And the culture had changed and whatnot. But at the same yeah. time... And the labels, they just fought Napster instead of embracing it, yeah. you know, and, and like, you know, it's like... Uh, it's uh, it's like we, we you know I, we, I think we mentioned this in in the last episode. It's like you know the days of of charging these crazy prices. You know I remember I mean I remember like as a kid CDs going for sixteen ninety nine. I mean for a kid that's a lot of freaking money in nineteen ninety one. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. it's like that's to play pay for music. I mean it's it's, it's outrageous. It's outrageous. You know, and I don't know where I'm going with this, but I just think that the labels were, were too greedy, you yeah. know, and, and and the technology hurt the labels, but also greed did, you know. Yeah, I agree. I wanted to mention Mike checked in on uh, on Facebook, and he has, he has said that 1990 through 1995, it was grunge. 1996 through 1999, new metal. And he says those were the two big genres in the 90s. That's uh, That's true. New metal. We didn't even get into that. We should uh, touch upon that maybe in another episode. Uh, he's forgetting I, boy bands. And boy bands. Yeah, I think he's just talking about that kind of hard rock, heavy metal stuff. Yeah. And uh, I, I, you know, you know, a lot of people again will will get mad at me for saying this, but I, I wasn't a new metal hater like all the others. I, I, I was there at some of the early corn shows and saw Limp Biscuit and, you know, I, I, um, I was, I w- you know, and I would even include like Soulfly and some of that new metal. Oh, I mean, it depends where, what you want to classify as new metal, but I thought, I, I thought anything with loud guitars was, was cool, you know, and, and new metal was something I didn't embrace like like I embraced heavy metal in the eighties, but I definitely enjoyed quite a bit of it. I mean, I like some of those, those first three corn records. I like a lot, you know? Yeah. I played corn about an hour ago. So like, cool, cool. Uh, there you go. I mean, and oh, go ahead. It's similar to what we were saying before. I don't have a problem with the first or second generation bands. It's that third, fourth, fifth generation band that 
is just ripping everyone off wearing the you know the adidas track suits just because it was the cool thing to do right uh those are the bands that ruined it you know similar to what happened with uh you know a lot of the bands trying to mimic the la strip bands yeah totally uh so mantra 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 oh i think that's burke gabriel who checked in on twitter and he's he's commenting that i said todd's the best and he says, fuck Todd, I'm the best. I've been listening since 2005. Uh, Bert, Bert, everybody's the best. We love all you guys. No, no need to uh, to get uh, nasty there. We love Todd, of course. Uh, he's always here with us on on Friday night. And I know you're just uh, you're just goofing around, Bert. So uh, Bert Gabriel, definitely a long time Talking Metal listener. Glad you're with us uh, tonight. Bert, glad you're with us. Todd, Todd just checked in again on Twitter saying, in 96, I saw LA Guns and Slaughter. At a bar in Tioga, Tioga, PA. I'm not sure if that's the Tio, Tioga, Tioga. I don't know. Sorry, uh, PA. Less than 50 people. Bands fell hard and fast back then. It's true, man. It's true. Uh, you know, I saw Slaughter, Vince Neil, and Warrant play a small club in Long TV. It was when I was working on a show called. Uh, it was a special called. It came from the 80s, Part Two. Uh, Metal Goes Pop was the name of the the special I was working on for MTV News, and we we went out there and and you know it was more than fifty people, but it's Long Island, you know, uh, but not a lot more, two hundred, three hundred people in the club, you know, which you know those bands five years earlier were playing arenas, you know, right. so yeah, well, it's uh, it is it is interesting how quick things turned for a lot of these these bands in the nineties. Right. Well, didn't Maiden during the Blaze Bailey years play the Roseland in in, in the city? Uh, yeah, I I was at that. It was it was it was a double bill. It was Dio and Maiden uh, playing Roseland together. <laughs> I mean, talk about two of the biggest metal bands of the '80s, and it was pretty packed. I'm, I don't know. I can't remember if it was sold out or not, but uh, it was definitely it was definitely filled. But the fact, excuse me, the fact that they couldn't, uh, I'm getting tired. That was my, that was my first yawn of the evening. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the fact that they couldn't, uh, play a bigger place was interesting, but yeah, Dio and, uh, Maiden together on the same bill. If, if I'm remembering correctly at Roseland, I was there with my friend, uh, Terry Kayamori. So yeah, and that and that's in New York. Um, imagine in, biggest city in the country. Yeah, yeah um, imagine in you know Milwaukee or yeah. you know Des Moines. You oh, know, really? the, the, they're playing instead of. I mean, how many people fit in the Roseland? Uh I'm you know, I would need to Google it. I I I guess what three three thousand maybe. I don't know. So uh, let's say they had about two to twenty five hundred. And yeah. you know, out in the sticks somewhere, they're probably pulling in a tenth of that. <laughs> yeah, well, I remember hearing about like even Bruce Kulick and um, who's what was the, what was the guy? A union was John, John Karabi and Bruce Kulick yeah. playing Buffalo, New York. Somebody I had known went and saw them there at some point. I'm not exactly sure of the year, but there was like 30 people there, you know, right. and and that was you know. I think you know, post post Bruce's time in Kiss and right. and uh, 
Yeah, Union Johns was, and Holly was, Crew, but I mean that's that yeah. thirty people, like that's like nothing, you know. It's, yeah, I, I remember it's, reading it's, that they had the same two guys had played uh, Allentown in Pennsylvania, and that they were you know asking people for requests because there was similar deal. There were like fifteen people in the crowd, <laughs> you know, and the 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 reason that union sort of fell apart was exactly because of that. Cause no one was going to see them play. Yeah. So, and actually if they play today, they usually play under the uh, Eric Singer band logo. Capacity because... of Roseland, by the way, I just Googled 3,200. Okay. Yeah. So I was pretty close. Other big news, by the way, just speaking of New York city venues, I've seen many great shows at Roseland through the years as I have at, Madison Square Garden. Yeah. I don't know if you heard this, but apparently the garden has to move. Did you I, hear this? Yeah, I'm. I'm um, a, a poster on a forum called Outside the Garden, which is a New York Rangers forum. And ever since I, my wife got me an, an iPad for Christmas, I'm signed up to ver. I'd read the story initially that there, whatever the commission. Um, the, the whatever council is in charge of uh, not so much the garden, but Penn station and the surrounding area. Right. What, what they want to do is they feel that they're losing money because the garden prohibits Penn station from being a lot more similar to um, grand central station, which is above ground, which has different mm -hmm. type of access, but Penn station is the busiest uh, transportation hub in the country. Wow. So essentially what they're saying is they're losing all this money to uh, not being able to have restaurants and different amenities that they could have. So what they want to do or what they've actually approved is that MSG has 10 years to move. Right. Well, uh, what Jim Dolan, the owner of, or the, guy that controls the garden, the Knicks, the Rangers, Rockefeller Center, or not Rockefeller Center, Radio City, and I forget how Cable many Vision. Other, Cable Vision. And uh, he's got his own band. I could tell you some stories about Jim Dolan. I don't know what we're getting into right this minute. but White Shoes. Yeah. What's that? <laughs> Jimmy White Shoes Dolan is uh, yeah. one of the nicknames. But uh, anyway, he was looking. I got lots of stories on him. That's another episode. He, he was looking to have their stay or however you want to call it or their lease extended indefinitely mm -hmm. and someone else had brought up uh that the well the the previous lease was for 50 years and it's up this year the i guess that the press release that the Cablevision people sent out was sort of nonchalant and they pretty much said well you know we're looking to finish the re the renovations of the garden which has cost them close to a billion dollars it's forced the rangers to start two of the last three seasons on the road for about a month so that right. they could finish these re renovations they've as a result haven't been able to have any concerts during the summer either because they've been renovating the entire time hmm. and what i've read online is what they have in their favor is that once these 10 years are up a lot of the people that voted for them to move probably aren't going to be in office anymore. And it's probably right. going to be one of these deals where a lot of people are going to get voted into office because they're going to help preserve 
you know, the garden in the place where it's currently at, you know, the history that it has and everything else. Although oh, and he'll be he'll be uh, making campaign donations to those people. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and helping fund them to make sure they get into office. So what you're saying basically is there's a chance that after everything's said and done, it might not actually happen. That it might not happen. I mean, okay. they had – remember, they started this renovation three years ago. They were trying to get a new garden built across the street where the post office is currently located. Mm-hmm. Uh, because apparently down by the Javits Center, post office moved most of, I guess, their what they had right across from the garden. They moved almost everything down by the Javits Center. So that building is only like a quarter of it's being used currently. So they were trying to work things out so that they could move the garden across the street. And then they could do whatever they wanted with, uh, you know, Penn Station. That fell through and that's why they did this renovation. Uh, the other thing that they're saying that you can throw out there and say, okay, well, you know, you can build here. They, they're talking right. about building a new garden down by where the Javits Center is uh, yeah. because they've apparently built new subway lines down to there. Uh, there's one that's starting up this year, and there's another one that, that'll be in service in, I think, two years. And they're saying that it'll have good enough access from Times Square and from Grand Central. Is this the seven train they're going to continue down over there? Yeah, the seven train. Because yeah. there's talks of them actually continuing the seven train to New Jersey, but I don't know if that'll ever happen. Yeah, the seven train apparently, if what I read is correct, by the end of this year, it'll be all the way down to the Javits Center. Right. And there's apparently another train. I, I don't even remember what number it was, but they're saying that that'll. That, will supposedly go all the way down to the same area as well. So that'll mm-hmm. help bring people to and from, you know, Penn and Grand Central and Times Square down to where the new yeah. garden would be at. Uh, the biggest concern that they have is people's safety in that area because that area isn't exactly populated, you know, like. Right. But it will be once they get, once they get the train down there, you know, right. stuff will gentrify and, and people will start moving there. But uh, interesting, interesting stuff. And, uh, you know, I guess we'll just have to wait and see if it ends up moving. It is interesting to note that the didn't, you know, Madison Square Garden was once at Madison Square Park, which is uh, is over by um, Lincoln Center, I believe, isn't it? No, it's uh, it's Madison Square Park is down like. By 23rd Street, like in Broadway, like in that area. Um, don't quote me on that, guys, but I'm pretty sure that that's what is Madison Square Park. You know, between, you know, Midtown and, and Union Square, there's a park that's called Madison Square Park. And that is uh, where, you know, Madison Square Garden was originally, and I believe it moved over to. Uh, the the where Penn Station is, and they knocked down this beautiful train station and put the garden on top of it. And, you know, a lot of people still complain about that. But anyways, we're kind of off on a tangent here. <laughs> New York history. That that's actually, by the way, the fifth garden. The current location is is the fifth because apparently it, oh. it dates back to the late 1800s. So, but I guess, you know, due to television and everything else, this is the garden that everyone 
you know, remembers. There's still footage of the garden previous to this one. Obviously, this one, I believe, opened in the late 60s, if I'm not mistaken. So Madison Square Park is on Broadway and Madison Ave. Okay. Yeah, I had a client. Between Broadway and Madison Ave on East 23rd up to East 26th Street. Had a client years ago. She was in the real estate sector, and uh, she had us remove Madison Square Park from her project, uh, for, from the map that she had bought from my company, uh, because she said it had no relevance to what she was doing, and that nobody ever referenced that park. So go figure. No, they they don't very often, but yeah. Anyways, dude, I got to wrap it up here. I'm kind of fading, and I'm sure you are too if you've been up for like 24 hours. Been now. up for 24 hours and 15 minutes. Yikes. <laughs> so Thank you for planning the show out, Victor, and uh, and producing it. We're going to hopefully get it up in podcast form. Talking Metal episode 422. If you missed last week's live show that Victor and I did, that is Talking Metal episode 423. This will most likely be episode 424, maybe 425, depending on how I stagger things here. Uh, what's going on with Mars Attacks real quick before we go, Victor? Sure. Victor has his own podcast, guys. It's called Mars Attacks. If you don't subscribe to it, do so now. Yeah, we have uh, an interview uh, with Brian Titchy coming up. We have the next classic albums column which should be up next week which uh, i guess i'll let the cat out of the bag that will center upon iron maiden's power slave and after that we have john oliva queued up uh for an interview was was a lot of fun was the first time i ever spoke to john and it was funny because they called me up and the entire interview was done via webcam so i have to see if if they'll allow me to uh released the webcam version as well but he was really funny and do you like the his new record a lot of people seem to like it i haven't i had some my stack of cds to listen to i haven't checked it out yet i was surprised you know um i'm not the biggest sabotage fan and you know they said that a lot of it was a 70s sort of progressive feel and i'm not a big 70s progressive guy either but i could really hear the influence of the who in there there's you know stuff that's really heavy there's stuff that's you know more operatic there's um or operatic however you say it there's you know acoustic stuff there's there's a little of everything and i think it's cool and this is one of the things that i mentioned to him that after doing the 25th anniversary of the hall of the mountain king he could have easily done another you know sabotage sounding album which is his bread and butter but instead he decided to do an album that really uh sort of showed another side of him and another side of his influences and uh he essentially says that they have that they wrote 70 songs in the process wow. so that right. there could be a, a bunch of other solo albums that come out you know during the course of the next few years so it, it, i recommend the album if you haven't heard it you know at least get, give it a spin and, and see what I you will. think I will check it out for sure. And guys, keep up with us on Twitter. I'm at Talking Metal, and I also have the Striegel name, two handles. And, of course, just use uh, Talking Metal as your hashtag, too. That helps out. We'll, uh, we'll keep the discussion going there. Victor is also on Twitter, and Victor has a, a, his own site, too. 
marsattacksradio.com. So check him out there. And support your podcast. Make a PayPal donation on either talking, talkingmetal.com or marsattacksradio.com. Use our Amazon links. Buy the music you hear in today's show by using those iTunes links on Talking Metal. You guys haven't been using those much since I've, uh, since I've brought them back, so I would love it if you could use those. They're awesome because they open your iTunes, and even if you don't buy the song that, that you know, the link clicks to, you can then search whatever you want in iTunes, and, and I get a little kickback on that. So support any way you can. we got Talking Metal t-shirts, too. They're for sale in the store section on TalkingMetal.com. Cool. So I guess we'll wrap things up now since we're going with the 90s theme and since Metallica is about to release a 3D movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, before you mention the 3D movie, quick question for you, Victor. Yeah. I have an 800 number set up. Yeah, let's, and let's maybe, you know, I know we're still in the testing phase here, the, uh, the, um, I don't know what the, the word is. Yeah, testing phase trial stage of these live shows but maybe next week we try taking a couple phone calls okay and actually let's do this if anyone wants to leave a message for us during the week because this will go directly to voicemail and we will have the ability to play them back uh the toll-free number is 888-920-2473 so if anyone wants to give us a shout out during the week feel free to do so Cool. Guys, thanks for listening. Absolutely. This is Metallica. The name of the movie that's coming out is Through the Never, and this is the track off the Black Album, Through the Never. See you next time on Talking Metal Live.